congregation is like double since the last time I was here. Yeah, I, I, yeah. well I hope you're not so disappointed that you don't come again. I hope the word today will actually inspire you to, to follow after Christ. Uh, let me, I'm sorry, I, I just forgot there's some people who may not know who you are. So. Yeah, I was going to introduce myself, but you do it. Uh, You'll do a better job. Uh, listen, you won't say anything ugly about this me. This is uh, Ron Roberts, Father Ron. When, uh, when we met, I don't know if I was a deacon. Was I a deacon when we met? I think so. I, I might have been a deacon. I was a new deacon. And uh, I went into the cabinet shop where he worked. <coughs> for part of my job and we got to talking and uh, come find out that uh, he found out I was in the CC and he was attending the church in Fairfield Jim Pinto was the pastor at that time mm-hmm. and so uh, gosh that was probably in 2000-2001 somewhere in that area I was ordained in 01 so Anyway, we've uh, since then he's been ordained as he was a deacon for many years, and we got to spend time together at retreats and so forth, and clergy, clericus. We've just gotten to be really good friends. Uh, yeah, he's a master cabinet maker, although he tries not to do that labor anymore. <laughs> he's, he's stepped away from it. Quit while you're ahead. But, uh, That's my philosophy. I wish I had just. Uh, uh, small part of the skill and knowledge he developed over the years working in that trade. But uh, he also loves the Lord. And, Amen. Uh, he serves our bishop. He's pretty much um, I'm not going to say the function he serves because every man who served in that function is Christ in the but he's a bishop right him man and uh, travels with him a lot and helps him out any way he can. Every now and then the bishop lets him sneak away and come be with us. Hallelujah. <laughs> so uh, he's going to bring us the word this morning. Amen. It's my friend, Brian. My friend. Well, pray for the word. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for friends. And yes, thank Lord. you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. And, uh, thank you for where you found Ron and me when you found us. Yes. The work that you're doing in our life and we believe you will continue that yes. work until it's complete. Lord, pour out your spirit upon us. Fill us afresh, God. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to your church. God. Yes. Set our hearts on fire, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I'll probably better get all this stuff. I tend to have a trouble staying on track to start with. So having some notes really helps. Uh, my brother confirmed what I felt the Lord was telling me uh, that, uh, by giving a little testimony because uh, I felt the Lord tell me, like, just give your testimony of this last week. Because I think uh, some of you or all of you, you know, really, yeah, all of you, yeah, you need a personal word from God about something in your life. You may not even know what that is. And you also need to, to, to hear a word of the reality of, of God, how much He loves us and, and how real He is. So on Monday of this week, I was in our offices and stuff uh, with one of our people there. And um, I was talking to them, and I just simply went like this to step. 
when I did it felt like every bone in my foot was broken and every muscle was torn was tore and every tendon had been been snapped or stretched way out of pocket and I almost fell. If there hadn't been a desk I would have fallen because when I made that next little step I couldn't put the weight on my foot. And so yeah, that was pretty, you know, I'm 69 years old and so that's pretty scary for an old man, <laughs> you know. Because uh, uh, when you're old, when you fall, you break stuff. It just happens that way. So anyway, uh, I was stumbling around and trying to figure out how to walk without touching the floor with my right foot. And our offices are like upstairs, so you have to go downstairs. And so, and it was just before our new Eucharist, and I was needing to go over. And so I'm going down the stairs, hanging on to everything I can hang on to because I was just afraid I'd fall. And then um, it got a little bit better, so I could put a little pressure on it, but it was still just really hurt. Uh, and I was being like really gentle, you know, uh, just putting weight on it as short a period of time as possible, you know, just, just enough to make that next step and get onto my left foot. So it got to the noon Eucharist and a little bit before it, and Bishop came in, and uh, I usually kind of greet him and ask, you know, to ask me any questions or tell him about anything that's happening that he needs to know of. So I just uh, didn't have any questions for him, but I did tell him, I said, Bishop, I don't know how, what all I can do, so I'm beginning prayer today. And wait, our noon Eucharist is we have uh, two altar rails, and the one that would be on your left, our right, is reserved at noon for people to be prayed for, you know, and all. And so uh, that's what I was going to do. And so I left Bishop's office, and as I walked out, not his office, but the little area that he vested in, and the uh, Lord spoke to me and said, why not now? And I was like, well, it's not in order. You know, we have a set apart time. It should happen there, you know. And so I looked at my watch, and I had five, there was five minutes before, procession, before the procession start. So I looked out, and uh, this young girl, she's in college, I think second year of college maybe, Anna Reynolds that I've known since she's like, well, since I've been in Seeky. See, she's a little girl and I've watched her grow up and then in the last few years we've become real close to one another. But uh, so I went and got Anna. I said, Anna, I uh, need you to pray for me. And so we walked up to the altar and Anna prayed for me and my foot was healed, completely healed. And it's still completely healed. And I've been like going up and down stairs intentionally not touching nothing. Just, you know, <laughs> to see, you know, if, you know, because I, you know, I'm not the most spiritual guy in the world. I have a lot of doubt about everything. Uh, and one friend said, you're, you're cautiously charismatic. <laughs> so that was my first experience at this week. And I don't have, I'm not normally have all these experiences with the Lord like, this week has been, that have been so powerful, so impactful, because that foot being healed, I mean, I was really afraid, man, I'm going to have to go to the hospital, and you know, I just all this other kind of stuff, and, but it was just healed. She prayed, and, and, and we kind of have a bit of a prayer mo model that we find where we always ask after praying for someone, well, how does it feel now? And I was like, and so I'm kneeling, and so I start doing the twist that, twist my foot around and all that, and I was like, wow, it doesn't hurt, it really feels better. So I cautiously got up and, and just started walking, and I was like, it's just healed, and it's, and it's still healed. So, amen. And then the other thing was on, um, I think it was Thursday, there's a man that's coming to Selma, and he's doing a 50-hour worship and prayer tent thing. And, uh, you know, so I met him, and, and I know nothing about him. First time I'd ever seen the man in my life. 
and I, you know, I didn't have any idea what his faith background was, whether he was, uh, you know, if you live in Selma, you automatically figure everybody's a Baptist except you, you know. Like, y'all guys live in the Bible Belt, we live in the Baptist Belt. <laughs> so, uh, I, I can make fun of the Baptist because I, I was one. <laughs> And uh, uh, so anyway, he's there at our noon Eucharist. Never seen him before except that day, kind of thing. And so during uh, we have a ministry time at all of our noon Eucharists. And uh, so I was the Lord started giving me a picture of him, of for him, kind of thing. And it was a picture of, of a little girl riding a tricycle on a beautiful green hill, and he was a part of the scene. But there was something wrong. And I didn't figure out what it, I couldn't figure out what it was. It was like dark and ominous kind of a look when I saw him. And so, uh, you know, kind of my first reaction under my breath, hoping God would not hear it. I'm, nope, I'm not doing this. You know, uh, I mean, I like giving good words. You know, like God's going to bless you. You know, and all this. I don't like giving any words that have any kind of a other slant to it. And so I just couldn't figure this out. If Was this something that happened? Was this something going to happen to it? And also, I bargained with God and said, well, God, I'll ask him if he has a young daughter, because he's kind of in an age he could have had a young daughter or a young granddaughter. So I said, I'm going to ask if he has a young daughter or a granddaughter. And, and then, you know, if he says yes, then I, you know, I, I'll go on with this in some fashion. And so I walked down, got kind of close to him, and I said, well, do you have a young daughter or, or, or a young granddaughter and stuff? And he says, no. <laughs> no. I was like, okay. And so I just told him, I said, well, this is obviously was going to be a swing and a miss. And, uh, and I said, uh, uh, so, so bless you. And so I turned to walk away, and the Holy Spirit just would not allow me to walk away. You know, it was one of those things. I had actually turned this far and was starting to walk because of the between pews and walk away, and I just couldn't. And so I turned back and I said, this is not going to make any sense, probably, and just forgive me if it's because it's a, probably a swing and a miss, but I just feel like I've got to tell you this. And so I told him what I'd seen and, and everything, and the Lord added one more piece to the, that puzzle, and it was uh, that this is for His glory and to be at peace. Well, it didn't help me out at all, you know, the way I was feeling. And he had a, just a blank look. Like, he was clueless, too, you know. And so I walked, I turned and walked, and when he was sitting a little past Midway's back, and our church is long, so I'm walking back up to the front of the church going like, yep, died in the wool, hardcore Baptist guy, and now he thinks that I'm a total, absolute idiot. <laughs> And then so we would go on and we serve the Eucharist and I served the prayer rail that day and he was on the very end of the prayer rail. And so when I got to that end of the prayer, prayer rail, I, uh, I think I said to him, or he may have started a conversation, but I probably said, did that word make any sense to you? And, uh, and he, he already had tears in his eyes and they just started flowing. And he said, yes, and, uh, me and my wife lost a child. When we were young, and we've and I've always wondered, was it a boy or was it a girl? And he said, and the Lord just spoke to me after you turned away, and and just told me you have a daughter waiting for you in heaven. Yeah. And is that not cool? Because 
that wasn't on my radar, let me tell you. And all. So, uh, anyway, those are just two testimonies. You know, the Lord says that uh, we should testify when we have real testimonies and stuff. Not just to be doing it, but to, when it's real, when it's impacted lives and stuff. So, I'm going to try to shorten this down as much as I can, which is going to be difficult because I don't know all what I'm going to say. What I'm wanting to get across to all of us is that the kingdom of God is two things. It's here. And it's very simple. Most of us, and, and uh, I'll just jump out on this limb and saw it off behind me, all of us, when we have problems that are just nagging at us, it's because we have overcomplicated it. And we have, and we have quit walking in simple faith. That's it. It's no more complicated than that. See, the only thing that Christ actually requires of us as an absolute is to believe. Now, those of you who have one here last time I was here a couple of times, I'm on this thing about believing because that's what God's speaking to my heart is to believe. Nothing else. Just believe. It's just really that simple. Those of y'all that was here, y'all know, and for y'all, my son was just recently, recently diagnosed with melanoma, uh, stage 3D, melanoma cancer. And uh, the, when I found that out, I was just got back from Africa, standing in the middle of the Atlanta airport, and I called him. He had just got out of surgery earlier that morning where they had just really dumped it all on him. They had went back in. He had had a mole removed uh, as cancer. They did the surgery on all of that, removed a couple of lymph nodes. As I was leaving Africa, he is still in recovery, and his wife told me, he said, doctors were very happy with everything. So I get back, and I'm in the middle of Atlanta airport, and my son tells me that he has stage 3D, extremely aggressive melanoma cancer. Well, before I went to Africa, I'd preached a sermon about believing here, and you guys might remember that about Lazarus. Uh, and so I'm standing in the middle of the airport, and, I, and I'm just, to be honest with you, it just took my breath away. I mean, it was like 10 minutes, I'm just trying to breathe at this point. He's my only son. So uh, when I finally kind of got my act together a little bit, and was able to take at least a half a breath, uh, I just heard the Lord simply say, Do you believe? And so that's kind of where I'm living my life now. It, but it's not just concerning my son. It's concerning every situation. Is do I simply, simply believe? And can I see it in Scripture everywhere? And I do. And for me, I do. Jesus came in in Mark 1, 14 through 15. We have his beginning of his ministry. It says that the kingdom of God is at hand. He didn't say that the kingdom of God was coming. And that when, or he didn't say that when you die, you will enter the kingdom of God. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here right now. It's not mystical. It's not in the future. It's here right now. So the first thing is, do you believe? And do you have eyes to see? Are you willing to see? Because the kingdom of God, there's one thing about the kingdom of God. It does not resemble this world at all. At all. It's basically a totally upside down backwards to everything that, that in this world. 
So it's really hard to get that. It really is. It's hard to see that and, and things are going on. You know, like I said, standing in the middle of the airport, I didn't see the kingdom of God for about 10 minutes. That is just like, what I saw was this earth, this natural, the, the what somebody had said about my son, yada, yada, all that kind of stuff. And God's having to teach me to have my eyes opened up to see the kingdom of God and to believe. And it starts all in believing. Occasionally, God blesses us with a glimpse, but most of the time, He requires us to believe what He what He has said, not what we manufacture, but simply what He said. And then He'll begin to open our eyes to to the kingdom of God and to all truths. In Second uh, Kings, to try to keep this short, if you want all these scriptures, I'll try to give them. You write them down, or you can take. I'll give you my notes. In 2 Kings chapter 6, 14-17, we find the, the prophet and the servant story. And uh, they're, they're surrounded by the enemies of Israel and, the, and the, the servants all wigged out by it and worried and everything. And then the prophet prays, God opened his eyes and his eyes come open and he sees that they're surrounded by angels and chariots of fire. And then the story goes on, the prophet asks that, that the eyes of the enemy be blinded. And, uh, and so and then, you know, the story is that, you know, they, they wind up being defeated completely. In 2 Corinthians 4.19, I do want to read this. Um, I got ambitious this morning, and I started putting paper in all the places I wanted to go to. And now I've got enough that I don't know which one is which. <laughs> So I could have left them out and just hunted it down. Uh, what is this? Second uh, yeah, Corinthians four. And here Paul's, of course, he's talking to the Corinthians. This is his second letter. Uh, I tend to identify a lot with the Corinthians. Because they were pretty messed up. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, Father Ronnie, when I met him, he was a deacon and I was a sinner. And he's a priest now and I'm still a sinner. So there's not a lot changed here. <laughs> um, but Paul's in, uh, speaking to the sec in 2 Corinthians to him. And he says in verse 18, chapter 4, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And now I confess to you that for an old country boy, when Paul starts writing like that, this and that, what, you know, and it, I get confused and have to back up and start reading in short. <laughs> you know, so I have to read this like, uh, while we look at, th look not at things that are seen, I need to stop. It's got a comma there, so that helps me. I just need to stop and go, okay, where are you going here, Paul? But all those things which are not seen, but at the things that are not seen, okay, so we're not supposed to look at the things that are seen, we're supposed to look at the things not seen, all the things which are seen are temporal, okay, too many scenes in here, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And our problem is that we're so easily deceived by the enemy. To not see the kingdom of God. And to not really believe in the kingdom of God. 
Because that's the base problem. It's, it's not that we don't see the kingdom of God. It's that on some level we don't really believe that the kingdom of God is now. And that we can actually live in the kingdom of God today. This moment. But we have to believe. We have to have an anticipation of what God is going to do and what God is actually doing. And that's what Paul is saying here. Like all this stuff that you see, all the stuff that you experience, all of this, whatever this is, is temporal. It's only temporary. You know, our life is temporary. There was a monk, and I can't remember his name, and, and got, have the exact quote that uh, made this statement. And I, wish, I wrote it down, but I can't find where I wrote it down. Uh, they said that uh, we're born to die. The day that you're born, you begin the process towards death. It's temporal. Our life itself is, is, in the, is very short. So that's what kind of, you know, Paul is trying to get across to the Corinthians. In, in John 3.31 and 3.33, there's this, this is another one of those great statements that confuses my simple brain because it just, just, just keeps kind of saying the same thing in a sense. Jesus is talking to the, uh, everybody and then uh, he says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he testifies, but no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. That God is true. Well, I find in my own life, and I think this is pretty much true of everybody's life, is that we have a disconnect between what we believe and what we say. Most, uh, I'll take it for granted that if I ask the question, do you believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God? Everybody would say, well, yeah. But do you live like you believe? So that's the real question. Is do you live your life believing in what God has said? Do you believe what God has said about yourself? Do you believe that God's love is so far beyond your comprehension? Don't even try. Just accept. Be like a little child. He says you must be like a little child. Well, little children, they don't ever try to figure out do you love them or not. They just experience that you love them or you don't love them. There's no thought process really in the little children. So do you believe what God has said? And do you live your life accordingly to what He has said? In 2 Corinthians 13.5 This is a, a scripture that has been a part of my life uh, and has become more and more. But 2 Corinthians 13.5 says this. Now, can you believe this? Do you believe this statement? It's in here. Okay. It's right in here. Do you believe this? Or do you not recognize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you. Do you really believe that? 
See, most of our life has been spent not believing that, although that's been one of the uh, big scriptures from my life, along with others. Of um, you know, uh, I, I, one of the others is I am dead, and it's no longer I, but it's Christ that lives in me. I've been very hard to grasp that. And anyway, and I still don't. I don't think I don't really grasp it, but I am now challenged to believe it. To just simply believe it. And, uh, and a lot of us, we hear statements like that and we try to figure it out a little too much. You know, like one of mine was like, well then, okay, he lives in me, but I sure don't act like he lives in me. So how do I act like he lives in me? What do I need to do to be living in me? And I've, I have jumped through every hoop in the world about that. Uh, I used to go to monasteries all the time. And when I was first going, it was like, well, if I go to a monastery and do a silent retreat and I just spend all my time in silence, you know, con uh, contemplating God and, and all that kind of stuff, that I'd start to get it. No, I didn't. You know, because it's, it's not the things of God that are the most important things are not things that you're going to grasp here. You've got to grasp it in here. And, and it's not an understanding. It's a living you start just simply living it out because you start actually believing what God has, has spoken to you. So in 1 Corinthians 1.30, I just saw this the other day and I was like, man, you got to be kidding me. That is like so cool. It's, it says, but by His doing, now that's the thing, by whose doing? His doing. Not your doing or anybody else's doing. But by His doing, you are in Christ. Oh my gosh. That means I don't have to do anything to be in Christ. He placed me there. I didn't place myself there because I read four chapters every day. He, he placed me there. It's His doing. It has zero to do with me other than me believing what he has said that, his, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that he came and he died for me and shed his blood for me I just simply he just did it and so that's that's a little revelation that I'm starting to have is that by his doing you're, you are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption whoa you mean I don't have to like go to church I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to even pray. Because He did it. Now, if I believe that, all those other things happen. They do, they're going to happen. They cannot, they cannot not happen. Because it's all His doing. He placed it there. He created that. He created the desire. You know what it says? And it says, you know, you're saved by grace through faith. And a lot of people stop it right there. But what it says is you're saved through grace by faith. And that is not even of yourself. Is a free, it, God actually give you the very faith to become saved. It wasn't something that you got because you worked it up. He gave you that little bit of faith that opened your heart to the truth of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the same that He placed you in Christ and He has given you the wisdom from God. And He has given you the righteousness or justification. And the sanctification and the redemption. He did that. 
We mix it up and think that we have to do all these all this stuff. No, we just have to simply believe that God, Christ now lives in us and believe in Him and focus our attention simply on Him, not on stuff, not on the things, but simply on Him. And all of these things will just start happening naturally. Just like watering a plant, it will start to grow. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, uh, and this is like a really powerful scripture, so I don't want to read it so I don't totally mess it up. 9, 8 says, And God is able. Who's able? God. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So you have all sufficiency. Not a little bit, but all. Whatever the situation is, we can turn and simply believe that we have all sufficiency. Now, one thing it doesn't say, and, I've, and like I said, I don't think it says it anywhere in Scripture, that you will have all that you want. <laughs> no. you know, like one man's sufficiencies is another man's incredible riches. He says, you, you, he will give you all sufficiency. That means the way he sees what you actually need, not what you think that you actually need. And that's the same thing with, uh, and, that's, and it says in everything. I mean, so there's not an insufficiency in anything. It's always you have all sufficiency in everything. But that's the sufficiency of God in which we get in, Christians get in the biggest trouble is when they start telling God what God should be doing. Just that my, That's my experience. And as a deacon and a priest, and I worked in ministries in the 70s, that was one of the biggest places where Christians got, got oh, I'm so disappointed in God. Uh, I'm, I'm going to quit loving God. I'm going to quit going to church. I'm going to quit, quit. I'm going to quit, 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 quit. It's because they start believing... Or they start. They start manifesting that they believe that they know better than God. You know, you can like in my situation, my son. You know, it's it's, it's bad. Three D is bad. That's just barely not four stage four cancer. It's bad. You know, but I have all sufficiency here. Now, my tendency and what I want to do is go, you know, go like, God, you've got to heal my son and just hammer that and all. But if my son dies, does that change God's being all sufficient? Why no? The problem is not his, him being insufficient. The problem with me just is being dumb enough to think that he is in some way. His ways are not our ways. 
I told, remember I said the kingdom of God is radically different. It doesn't look anything like this world. I don't understand it. You know, I don't understand how God takes anything, the things that He does, and turns it to glory and turn, turns it to His glory. I don't understand how God took me and drew me out of sin. And I, and, and I, I think I can argue the point with Paul that no, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I was a horrible person. I literally predid everything except actually murder somebody. And maybe a couple other little other small things that I didn't do that were sin before Christ. But I mean, I was... Yeah, I, don't want to get into all that, but just trust me on that. I could tell you my sins for the next two weeks and not repeat them. How did God do that? How did God take and change someone that was so utterly self-centered, so utterly selfish, and to use the new modern word that doesn't sound so bad, narcissistic? You know, I, say, I think narcissistic kind of sounds cool, but you're the most selfish human being that's walking on the face of the earth. It does not sound nearly as cool. And that's what I was. And how did God take that? And how did God change that? And how did God get me to the place where I'm at today? I have no idea. He did it not for me. He did it for His glory. So all these things that go in our lives, you know, when we have financial troubles, is God sufficient? Or not sufficient? What do you believe? You know, do you believe in the sufficiency of God? Do you believe that you walk in the abundance for every good deed? For every good deed. So now let me stretch you a little bit. Maybe you didn't have a good day this week. Maybe you had a really bad day. You know, one of those days you're going like, God, don't you just kill me and get it over with? Maybe that's the kind of week you had and all. But what does the, what does the Word of God say about you? It says that you have, it says that you may have an abundance for every good deed. So do you believe that you have that abundance today, even though you was like, you know, yeah, I, mean, I mean, I've come to church sinning a lot of times, going like, man, I hope the roof don't fall down. Or nobody else gets struck by the light that's going to probably strike me when I walk through the door. But because He has done these things, we actually walk in an abundance for good deeds. See, we in our, in our Eucharist we make a statement that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to Himself, not counting yours or men's sins against them. Well, if He didn't count them then, He, he doesn't count them now. The question is, what are you believing? You know? What are you believing? Are you believing in God, the goodness of God? And if you're believing in Him, are you willing to turn your life over to Him moment by moment, second by second? So no matter what situation you're in, there's an abundance for, to, for the ministry of God. A little bit of a testimony. With thir uh, it was about 13 to 15 years, I became very angry at God and stayed angry at God. I mean, I've actually cussed God, cussed God, literally cussed God. I used cuss words at one point in my life because I was just so hurt, so bitter. Uh, but it was a, there was a, 
This, and I, and I, I, this is usually when I wind up cussing God. God comes constantly, not every day, but every so many months during this whole period of over a little over a decade period of time would bring people into my life for me to minister to them because I'd ministered in a ministry towards alcoholics, drug addicts, the hippies, which I was one. But I would wind up in these conversations with people that was, you know, like, like that and other things, actually ministering to them, telling them, I mean, I'm, I was mad at God, okay? I was mad at God, but I knew God, you know? So it's just like, we'll just, uh, let's say like Father Ronnie or Brian here, that I know them, and if I knew that they were like cajillionaires, you know, I would know that, that you've got a small financial problem that I could go to them and I could direct you to them and they would probably meet your need. Because I know them. Well, I knew God. And so I was constantly during this period of time directing people to God and then afterwards they'd go their way and I'd go my way and I'd cuss God. Tell me, leave me alone. Like, you know I'm really mad. And I really don't want nothing to do with you no more because I'm, I'm, I'm such an idiot that I obviously I don't understand nothing. I'm totally confused by all of Christianity. And so if you're not going to straighten me out, if you're not going to give me supernatural wisdom by striking me with lightning, then I know everything, then I'm just going to be mad at you from now on. I don't want nothing to do with you. And then I'll actually cuss in that part of the conversation. But see, there was an abundance and people who had a need to be pointed towards God could come to me and get pointed towards God, even to, even if I didn't want to do that. Because it was God. It was Christ living in me. That who put in me? He put in me. So if you ever get really, really mad at God and you don't want to have anything else to do with God, you know, come talk to me and let me pray for you because it is a loser you will live so miserably. Like I say, I, my thing was leave me alone. Don't bother me no more. And that's just like waving a red flag in front of a bull with God. And he just, he's relentless. But he told us, and you know, if, see, if I'd had any sense at all, I would remember, well, he did say that he would never leave me nor forsake me. And he didn't. The goodness and the grace of God that is there. His grace abounds. And that statement and that phrase uh, that it abounds is like it's consistently. It's actually if you know all the Greek which I don't know I'm taking somebody else's word on all this that's much smarter than I am. It, the way the picture that this word was portraying to the Greek to the Greeks and the Jews at that time in history was that grace was like waves in an ocean endlessly coming and crashing on the shore side. Think about uh, being on the beach. Even when there's just... I grew up on, on, on the uh, Gulf Coast in uh, South Florida. And even when the waves are just like that tall, when you sit on the beach, there's a rhythm. They're constant. Never stopping. That's the way this is. It is it's like waves. Unending never stopping, constantly coming and constantly making the, the, way, the noises that waves make. 
And that's the way grace is. It's constant. It's always coming. And grace is always doing what grace is always doing. And that's drawing our hearts to, to Jesus Christ. Uh, let's see. Where am I at? In Galatians 2.20. Which I probably don't even need to actually do all this, but I'm trying to give you scriptures that you can go back to and look and, and let the Holy Spirit speak to you about what the scriptures uh, were saying. Uh, Galatians 2.20. And this is, this is, like I said, this is one of those verses that has been a part of my life forever. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I, Julia, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. For a long time, and I had read this and read a bunch of books about being crucified with Christ and no longer being I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I could never figure that out because it wasn't my experience. My experience was that the life that I now live is pretty sinful doesn't really look much like Jesus. But it's because I was trying to do it. Rather than just simply believing in Him, that He would eventually work this thing out so that my life became more like His life. Because it was not my life. It was His life. Because my life had been crucified. And now I was no longer trying to live my life. I was just simply... And I wasn't... Uh, trying to live his life. That would, had been my problem. Is that I was always trying to live the Christian life. Our Bishop Jones Chuck says, uh, always says that to live the Christian life is an impossibility. It's totally impossible. That only Jesus can live the Christian life. And he wants to do that by living his life in you. But that takes an act of our will and to believing in him and believing that he can actually do this no matter what it looks like. No matter how bad my life looks. No matter how I struggle. If I just simply keep turning back to, I believe, I believe, I believe. That, that eventually that starts to actually, it's like believing is like the water for our soul that water is for a plant. They would produce that, which is always intended to do. And the result of all of this... And this is my experience now. As I quit trying to do, and I simply begin to believe that, that this is really not real, but the kingdom of God is really what's real, and what he says is absolute truth, or what is said out in this world is a great deal of it is just lies. It's just lies. There's some truth in, in some things, you know, but a lot of it is just simply lies. So the more I just simply believe, not understand, don't don't mistake this. You're not going to understand most of it. You just need to believe it, and then let Him live His life. But in this Galatians five passage, it's the passage on the fruit of the Spirit. But if you believe and you simply strive after those things, what this is what you find happens to your life. Where you begin to have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. 
there is none. Now those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And really what that is meaning is that, that the, the, the passions and the desires that are normal to a normal human being that are, that are not normal to, to God, it's called the flesh, lust, so forth, that you've chosen to quit believing in them and believe in the goodness of God and the sufficiency of God and that God can do all things and that because God can do all things you can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us just simply by believing uh, Ephesians I didn't know I was going to get into Ephesians until this morning uh, 2.6 makes this incredible statement that most of us still just we, we read and go oh that's cool and we go on to other stuff it says and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so you can be seated here there any of these chairs you can be seated right where you're seated and have a miserable life Or you can be seated in heavenly places. Because He's placed you there. He's created a place for you. In spite of all the messing up that we do, we have a place where we're seated. Now Paul didn't say that, that you know, after you die and the Romans cut your heads off or feed you to the lions, you'll be seated in heavenly places. He said you're seated in heavenly places. Now. That's the kingdom of God. That's the reality of the kingdom of God. Do you believe that? And it's a process towards that, to experiencing it. You first have to believe it and just believe it and believe it. And then you begin to experience that. You'll, be, you'll come to a place where things happen in your life. Uh, someone does something that normally it would really make you really super mad. Or you do something that would normally make you just super mad at yourself and all that. And because you're now becoming seated in heavenly places, it's, you have love, joy, peace, kindness, patience. Because you know, in heaven there's not sin. Okay? There's no sin in heaven. So when you're seated, truly seated in heaven, you don't have all those violent emotions. Um, and then before Paul told them that, Paul said this. In, ver in chapter 1 18 chapter 1 18 <clears throat> see Paul knew how difficult some of these things that he was going to be telling them particularly in, in Ephesians because Ephesians was one of great great books in the New Testament because Paul tells us that we're seated in heavenly places we, we walk, in, walk in, in heavenly places and we stand in heavenly places Watchmanee did a great book called Sit, Walk, Stand. Seated in heavenly spaces, walking in heavenly places, and because of you being seated and walking and learning to walk in those things, you can stand against whatever. But in uh, this verse, Paul, know, knowing that, okay, they need some help, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what, what is the hope of his calling and what, the, what are the riches of of the glory of his inheritance in the saints so see we do have a, a prayer to pray it's like Lord open my heart open my eyes to begin to see you 
this you won't believe this all started from Psalm 46 when I knew I was going to come here to uh, to share with y'all my usual deal is that I will read the readings for the for that Sunday and ask God you know like do you have a word that you would like me to speak out of that not out of those those readings and so many times he really does but I want to read this psalm again <clears throat> kind of the way I read it because God I think God kind of opened the eyes of my heart just a little bit when I read this. This, this psalm speaks, or spoke to me directly about today, the day that we live in. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That first part of that can be translated as Abundant, uh, our refuge and strength, abundantly available in our help and trouble. Therefore, we will not fear through the earth should change, and through the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, through its waters roar and foam, and through the mountains quake at its swelling pride. When I read it, I was like, wow, that sounds like, the, like Fox News. <laughs> Think about it. I mean, like climate change? I mean, like the world's going to end in 12 years because of climate change? Because, like, the, 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 the waters are going to roar and, and just wash over the whole earth because an iceberg melts? And I'm not saying not to believe in climate change. You can believe in, in all that stuff you want to. But what I am telling you, God is your refuge and your strength. God is your refuge and your strength. There is a river, the Holy Spirit, whose streams make glad the city of God, the heart. I now I used to watch Fox News all the time. Now I watch like one hour a day. Because you can watch it the other 23 hours and you won't hear anything new, new anything else. Anyway, that's one reason. And the other was because I found like it was driving me nuts. It was making me anxious. It was making me not believe in God on that on a level. I mean, it wasn't making me not believe in God that I was just going to quit going to church and quit being a priest and go just live a life of sin and all that. But what it was doing was like I was starting to worry about it. Well, what do I need to do about climate change? You know, what do I need to do about this? What do I need to do about that? And all. The holy dwelling place of the most high. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her with the, when the morning dawns. This word her is the bride of Christ. That's what we're called, the bride of Christ. We're his bride. That's, we're the her. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms, kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. You look into the politics of our world, world today, governments are on the brink of collapsing. Governments are actually changing hands. All this kind of stuff is going on constantly all the time. And the, uh, with the fear of volcanoes now, you know, the super volcano is going to erupt and the whole earth will die. Um, but the Lord of hosts is with us. Hallelujah to that one. Amen.
Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolation in the earth. You know, some of this desolation that we see, not all of it, some of this desolation, some of these things that are happening, God is doing those things. He's, in some instances, He's trying to get our attentions. In some instances, He's overthrowing the kingdom of darkness on this earth. So we just need to be at peace that God is, is sufficient. God is in control. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. So just think about that. All this, the, you know, the current thing going on now in our, in our world is, uh, uh, in the words of Donald Trump, rocket man is shooting off rockets again. It's not that big a deal. If you have Christ, if you live in the kingdom of God, it's just not a big deal. Don't let it become a big deal. It says, he makes wars to cease, he breaks the bow, uh, cuts the spear in two. Verse 10, uh, another translation for a part of this verse is, let go, relax, cease striving, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. What a wonderful song that to me spoke so much of today of Fox News Monday morning. It pretty much covers it. See, we get distracted by stuff. All kinds of stuff. We get distracted because we've done something sinful. And we so focus on that rather than God. See, God just simply, the simplicity of the kingdom is it's just here, it's there for us to live in. We don't have to do anything because He does it. He's done it all. And we just need to simply believe in Him. You know? I mean, as, as a priest, I think every priest that... I know anything about we all suffer from our sinfulness we you know and the, the crazy thing is is something goofy that's really of no consequence and that if we wasn't a priest and we was counseling somebody we'd go really that's all you've done <laughs> but we let the least little thing drag us down into a pit of despair hopelessness condemnation in spite of the fact that God said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that love God and that are called according to His purpose. So whatever's happening, or going to happen in your life for the next few days, just believe. Just believe in His love for you, of His goodness for you, of His desire for you, and just believe. Then ask Him to open your eyes and begin to see the kingdom of God and teach you how to live in the kingdom of God moment by moment, day by day. Amen? Sorry for taking so long. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's just a lot to say.